Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today we have author conversations. The Fields by Erin Young is a breakneck police procedural set in the Iowa Corn Belt and centers around a murder of a woman found in a cornfield, one whose implications extend far beyond the Midwest. But perhaps the most surprising twist of this story is off the page. Erin Young, the author, isn't an Iowan or a tried-and-true Midwesterner, as one would expect, but rather an accomplished British historical novelist from Brighton, who, under another pen name, is a perennial Sunday Times best-selling author. She's been published in nine languages in 22 countries, selling two million books worldwide. Before I bring up Erin, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTB podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. One more thing. I want to talk a bit about a great audiobook app, Libro.fm, lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, you know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of this podcast can get two books for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code L-L-T-B podcast. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'll add the link in the show notes. And now, pull up a seat, sit back, relax, and enjoy Author Conversations with Erin Young, the author of The Fields, a brand new crime thriller out today. Erin Young, welcome to the Living a Life Through Books podcast. I am excited to have you here. I cannot wait to talk about your upcoming book, The Fields. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So your book comes out Jan 25th. Yes, now, I think um, Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. I've read the book, but my listeners haven't yet. So what can you tell us about the book in your own words for my listeners? Okay. So, um, so it's called The Fields and it's my debut crime thriller. It's, I'd say, probably a crime thriller with a bit of a twist in that it's um, maybe I'd call it part police procedural, part political conspiracy. It's set in Iowa and it follows um, an investigation started by my protagonist, Riley Fisher, who's just been newly promoted in the Black Hawk County Sheriff's Office. 
um, and is called to a body in a cornfield just outside of her town and has a shock when she discovers that the victim is somebody that she knew um, in her childhood from a past that she thought she'd left behind. Where does someone from England come up with an idea about, of all places, Iowa and cornfields? I, I am just blown by that. <laughs> so you've um, got to tell me about this. Sure. Well, I had the idea for the novel five years ago <laughs> in January 2017. Um, so we're pretty much to the day of the kind of conception of it now. I was reading an article in a British newspaper and it was talking about it. Actually, it wasn't anything about Iowa or even America. It was um, an article about crop fields in Northern Europe and some really unsettling things that were happening with big agriculture and a change in crops and GM crops and, and just some of the dangers it's hard to talk about without sort of giving away. Sure. No, no, I, I know. I know. I'm like, wait a minute. Stop. Stop. You know. Um, so, so it was, you know, that was a germ, um, pardon the pun, germ of an idea at that right, point. I was going to say it was pun intended. And like, I'm like, <laughs> so I want to say genre. You said police procedure. I can see that politics. I can see that crime scene. I can see that. You don't mention sci-fi because there's part of me going, hmm, could this? I mean, just barely touched that zone of sci-fi, although it's not fiction, but it is. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's really interesting that you say that, actually. I don't think anyone's said that until now, apart from maybe uh, my American agent, who's always called it like um like a techno thriller or something. And he always thought, he always thought of Michael Crichton when he was reading the early drafts, um, uh -huh. which was very flattering because I absolutely love Michael Crichton's writing. Right. Um, but, um, but yeah, you're so far the only person that's touched on that. And to be honest, when I first had the idea five years ago, because it was kind of a little bit out there, I thought I'm really gonna have to set this maybe 20 years in the future. And at the time I went to my publishers with the idea and on paper, it is a little bit weird. Um, <laughs> and I sort of talked them through it and um, long story short, they, you know, they, they really loved the idea, but they, they were worried, especially when they read, I'd, I'd sort of written a synopsis and done maybe three chapters, I think by that point. And it was at that time set 20 years in the future. I'd done a lot of research by then on Iowa, but not just that, on also what Iowa might be like, what farming and tech and things might be like in 20 years. So I'd done quite a bit of work and research on that. And all of my publishers, the, the publishing team that I'm with in the UK, they read it and they loved the concept, but they were very much like, well, for us, this reads like a, a good, solid crime thriller, but with this sci-fi twist, having said that, we feel if we pitch it out there as this book, if you write this this book as you want it now, we're going to really struggle to know where to pitch it in the market. You know, booksellers are going to be like, well, is it sci-fi? Is it a crime thriller? Reviewers are going to be the same. And it could just easily kind of slip through the margins of, of you know. Absolutely. Almost. So I have to say, I mean, I was a little worried because I'd done so much research and I'd invested so much of myself already in the concept of this book. And I was so excited to write it. 
but they said to me, look, d- don't worry too much about exactly when it's set just now. Just, you know, you want to go out to Iowa and do the research on the ground. Just go out there. If you can set it as near to now as possible, that would be amazing. But just go and see. And I have to say, the moment I touched down in Iowa and got on the ground there, the moment I realized, actually, I I want this to be now. And I was so kind of excited and fascinated by the culture and the landscape and the people and everything that I sort of discovered out there that I almost felt like, I don't know, that I'd be doing the whole place a disservice not to actually really get down into what's happening there at the moment. So initially, yes, it really was conceived in that sort of genre, but it I'm much happier with it now. I think my publishers were not only right about, you know, their ideas about it, but for me, it actually made the book land kind of exactly where I really wanted it to. So it's right. Uh, no, I just I just brought up that I don't I do not think it's a sci-fi book by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. It just barely, you know, like there's that two percent mm-hmm. or one percent that kind of yeah. touches on it. So I do want to go back because you mentioned how your publisher said this and your publisher said that. And you had three chapters. Now, mm-hmm. how do you find a publisher without having a book? What is that journey like? Let's. I'm just curious from a writing point of view, from a writer's, author's point of view, who are probably listening, maybe. Yeah. Where do they go about like finding a publisher? I thought you needed to find an editor first, edit it, then find an agent, and then an agent finds you a publisher and then you go that way. But by the time it's at the publisher, it's already done. That was my, that was my understanding. So please educate me. Okay, sure. So I started writing years and years ago. I was published in first in 2006. I got a publishing deal in 2005, was published in 2006 under another pen name, Robin Young, which I've written historical fiction as for years. So, I mean, that was that was a really long stay, many stages to get to that point in 2006. I'd, I mean, I'd written two fantasy novels in my early 20s, unpublished, huge, ridiculous, definitely never will be published and never should, should be. Why? <laughs> I love fantasy. Throw it my way, please. <laughs> you have dragons? Um, <laughs> um no dragons actually. <laughs> ah, never mind then. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean um, to distract. So so I, you know, I I'd spent quite a few years already writing. It's something I always wanted to do. I did a evening class in Brighton, uh, which was a you know quite a solid um sort of foundation in creative writing course and in the second year of that we had an agents and publishers day where agents and publishers came down from London and read you know our synopses basically and pretty much shattered everyone's dreams about how difficult it is to actually be published it was a reality check should we say great a lot of boxes of Kleenex on the table and yes there was a there was a lot of (laughs) okay I mean, I guess they couldn't really do that at the beginning of the course because nobody nobody would have come back for a second. There you go. It's like, I'm done. It's like, goodbye. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was a bit of a, an insight into the whole industry and how and how difficult it is to be published. But I felt a little bit heartened because one of the agents who'd read my synopsis on the time, it's my first foray into, hor- into historical fiction. Um, and he really liked the idea. So for the next two years, I basically bombarded this poor man with draft after draft of what ended up being my first novel, Brethren first published novel which is set during the crusades and we worked together I mean slowly he got more and more interested and invested more and more of his time in it and then two years in to that relationship I just finished a master's degree in creative writing at Sussex University which is close to where I live on the south coast in England and he signed me up finally the day after I graduated because I'd actually chosen my pretty much my thesis to be because they we all had to do one long piece of um, writing and brethren right was mine. and I really learned to hone my craft in that environment it was you know a lot of people are, over the years it's you know either people are into creative writing courses or they're not and they're sort of you know well hang on how can you teach somebody to do this for me the really good thing about doing uh, the foundation course and then the master's was how much it taught me to edit my own work because you know you've got this little group of people tight-knit group at the end of a year doing a master's together and we're all just basically every week just I'm not going to say tearing apart each other's work because it was actually very constructive but it you know we really learnt a lot from reading each other's work and then you know if I'm there during the day critiquing somebody else's work and some things that I think well hang on that's really cliched or whatever and then I'm back at my desk and I do anything like that then I have this voice now in my head going hang on you told them off for doing that this is exactly the same so anyway so it was a really it was a really good learning curve so I signed up with the agent and we then spent another two years trying to find a publisher for the first send out so we sent out at that point a partial manuscript 16 chapters and a synopsis And we had three editors out of about 12 who came back and said, we like this concept, but it definitely needs a lot more work. So go away and do some more work, which by that point I had something like 12 drafts of this novel on my computer. And so, but, you know, to actually get that little bit of, well, hang on, there is something here. It is worth me just, you know, going for it one last time. And so, and so we did. So I, t- I took nine months. I re- pretty much rewrote it. We went back a year later and two publishers wanted it and we had a, an auction. So that was incredibly exciting and everything all at the same time, many emotions. Um, and we, we finally signed with a publisher in the UK called Hodder and Stoughton. Um, they're quite an old, uh, one of the big publishers here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been with my editor, who I ended up with, Nick, since 2005. Wow. Um, when it came to the fields, I mean, Nick's always been really supportive of me doing something else. And even though I loved writing historical fiction and I love reading historical fiction, I have to say my favourite genre is crime and thrillers. And I would always, you know, if I was going away on holiday, I wouldn't take historical fiction because I was in it too much. I would take crime. Okay, um, And so that was always something that I was interested in. And Nick is a big crime editor here. Um, he's Stephen King's editor. Um, lots of other Whoa. people. Whoa. Okay. You have Stephen King's editor. Yes. It, it, his UK editor. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but still, I mean, come on. 
oh my goodness, wow. I mean, so you know, a- just like, oh, he's just Stephen King's editor. <laughs> no, it's just UK editor. I mean, come on. Oh my goodness, Darren, that's that's freaking awesome. That's like, wow. Well, it's, I mean, he, it's all thanks to him. He's He really is. He's an old school editor. He's been in the industry for a long time. He's very well thought of and well known. And, you know, we've had this great relationship and it was really amazing for me to be able to go to him and him to be so supportive and say, yeah, we will take this risk because it is, you know, they've they've branded me as a historical fiction writer all these years. That's money and that's investment on their part to change that up and take a risk is, you know, that's a bit of a tall order for some sometimes for publishers. So, so we, so I had a UK publisher, I had a, I had a deal actually already in place for two more historical fiction novels. And when I came with this one, they said, well, actually, why don't we just change the contract and say that the fields is going to be one of those instead. So it was, kind of it had a ready-made sort of slot to go into here in the UK but not in America. I didn't have an American publisher at all at that time. So that was then a very new process. Um, But I have had, I was published with those first historical novels in the States in 2006, but only the first three. I haven't been published since then in the States. So again, it was quite a new sort of set of challenges, but I've had an agent in New York since those days as well who's also been amazing and has stuck with me all this time and been a real champion and so when he knew that I was writing this I when I went to Iowa in 2018 to do the research I stopped via New York and went for lunch with Dan my uh-huh. agent and we and this was when I, you know I was really kind of honing in on what this book was going to be and he was so excited about it and he was so so great as well as a sounding board and bouncing ideas off Sure. Um, so I'm really thrilled and and yeah so we we then got a publisher so Flatiron um, who are publishing it now on Tuesday um, almost three months before the UK so they've they've wow. really gone <laughs> so yeah so we had um, we found a publisher and uh, here we are so I mean it's it, in my early days that was the real that was the long time coming. That was the many rejections. That was the, you know, will I ever be published years? And since then, right. it's you know, it's been a bit easier. Well, t- I mean, it's still challenging, but it's obviously having a kind of a ready-made home for the fields was a little simpler than it would have been if I'd, if I'd never written before. Right. So I am working on my first novel ever, ever, ever. Okay. And, um, you know, I've talked to other authors, like now you have talked about going through a program like school mm-hmm. and getting contacts that way. I've talked to um, Alka Joshi. She's the author of The Henna Artist, a wonderful woman. And she said, well, yeah, of course you can just write and hone your craft that way. But she's like, I really wanted to get an MFA for me. And I went to school and here I am sitting here and I'm going, okay, my book is just totally, it needs work. I've got an editor right now, finally, right. and mm-hmm. looked at it. Obviously, she said it needs work. Duh. And uh, she's given me a lot of homework to do, mm-hmm. not just editing the book, but just reading up on things like character agency and all those crazy stuff, you know, character needs, fatal flaws, all of that. What are your thoughts about 
someone like me who's plugging away, reading articles about writing and really learning and honing on that and focusing on it, learning, and then going back to my book and then reading more articles, learning versus someone who's in an accelerated, concentrated program to become um, an author. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. I mean, I I did both. I did the foundation, the master's, but at the same time, whilst we were on those courses, we were given a lot of reading materials. There's, you know, books talking about the craft and point of view and show not tell. And so we kind of learn about all of those terms. Um, and then, but I have to say, for me, what was quite helpful was, you know, being at home, reading a few of those chapters, and then we would have a whole class on show not tell. And just having somebody give you, you know, examples of either one and sometimes when it's good to, to actually tell as well, when it's good to have exposition and when it's good to kind of then just let the reader do some more work. It's, you know, I think the thing that would ever so slightly worry me about just doing your own thing, but then having said that, I mean, so many writers are very successful doing it on their own and just working, 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 and they get there. So obviously you know, that's, that's not an impossible route at all. I suppose you could maybe get a little bogged down on the actual craft and which is, it's good. It's good to learn. It's good to understand. It's good to play around with, but then you have to let the passion and the creativity enter as well. And otherwise you're going to be maybe, I think you can craft almost too much. I think you need to let the words flow as well. And you can get a little bit stuck on, oh, is this this? And have I done it like this? It's, you know, writing isn't a, there isn't a formula, really. There's certain tricks. There's certain things that are better not to do at certain times and things that are better to do at other times. You know, pacing, suspense, character building. They're right. all to a novel. But some of that, I think, is... It's not about working your way through it. It's about feeling your way through it and kind of letting it breathe as well. I think there's definitely merit in, you know, understanding the craft. There is, without a doubt. But I think sometimes you've got to put away the books and the articles and feel it. I mean, go out into a, go out into a cafe or, or wherever and just, just listen and watch and observe really, you know, how does somebody smile and how do they laugh? So it's kind of like just it's letting the world be your teacher as well and just observing and honing your powers of observation of humans, of, of weather, of smells, of, I mean, really learning how to enrich your novel with those things. And because, I mean, really, novel writing is, a lot of it is about, you know, powers of, our powers of observation of, of human beings and what they do. And I mean, I'd almost read, in a way, I'd almost read just random newspaper paper articles about everyone and everything. Like look at local newspapers, like they can have the weirdest stories about people. And you could just come up with like some amazing characters out of things like that. Obviously, you know, I wouldn't necessarily take all of the details. I'm, um, but, um, you know, it's just, it's about being in the world as much as it is about learning what the craft is, I think. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about your relationship with books. Mm -hmm. Like when you were a child, tell me your relationship with books and writing when you were little. 
they were hugely important to me as a child. My dad taught me to read when I was three. So um, I was an early reader and instantly just enthralled by stories and, and books and new worlds. And my grandfather was an amazing natural storyteller. And when we would go and spend Christmases and birthdays and whatever with, with my grandparents, uh, me and my cousins would all have these uh, bedtime stories from our grandfather who would sort of sit there at the end of the bed and we'd all be, you know, bunched around in one room. And he would invent stories where we were, and he would just, he would just recite them off the top of his head. Sure. It was weird. One was about a, a yellow submarine. Um, I think he was quite into the Beatles at the time. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, okay. <laughs> And we would we it would it lived in a in a sewage vent in a in an in an English seaside town and okay. we would go into the yellow submarine and go off on some adventure somewhere. He would let it was a kind of a choose your own adventure kind of scenario. So we would get to choose you. Well, what happens next? And so I think in some ways he he taught us to storytell. It's interesting. We've all gone off and become all, me and my cousins have all done, ended up being creative in some way. Uh, we've got a, a filmmaker and a graphic artist and a, somebody who works in a, a wardrobe department for British TV dramas. And so it all ended up pretty creative. Wow. And I think in some ways that was because our grandfather was just this, you know, influence on us. And uh, those stories were amazing. And then I was lucky enough at school to have an English teacher who saw that I had something, I had a passion for words and poetry at the time. And he, again, was just so encouraging and that really helped me. But in terms of books, I just, I read everything. And I honestly, I'm amazed. I mean, I'm wearing glasses now, but I only ever wear them for the computer I'm amazed that I don't actually need them beyond this because I would be up until you know midnight one in the morning under my duvet with you know a torch on a book and oh I yes must, I didn't destroy my vision a long time ago <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely so when did you actually start writing as a child or yeah so I tried to write my first novel when I was 10 Okay, um, and I got as far as drawing the front cover, which I was quite pleased with. But then Yay. I opening this, I had a notebook, and you know, I'd stuck a stuck some plain paper over the top of it, and I'd drawn the cover. And then I opened it, and there was this blank page, and it was just so terrifying. And I, I just didn't even know where to start, so I didn't. So that was that was my first go. Okay. Um, and then at school, it was, you know, p particularly this English teacher. And I was, so it was just before um, what we call over here at GCSEs, which is sort of the exams that you do at sort of 15, 16. O-levels? Um, it was originally O-levels and then it became GCSEs. It's probably oh. something. But, oh, it's um, not. Oh, okay. Because I did O-levels. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Now it's no longer that. Okay. It's GCSEs. Right. Okay. But again, I like I said, it might even be something else now. I mean, it's been a long time since I was at school. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so in, in that sort of age group and environment, and that's where this English teacher really kind of saw the, my interest in it and was just encouraging. So I started off doing poetry 
and I won a couple of competitions. I had some of my work in like sort of national anthologies of poetry. And I have to say, seeing my name in print for the first time, that um, that was a really amazing experience. And it kind of gave me the bug and made me think, yeah, I, I love this. I want to do this more. So it really was that sort of step-by-step kind of process into it. Um, but I, re- I thought I would be a journalist more than a novelist. I, for huh. years and years, never understood how you know how do you write that blank page and 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 so much beyond that blank page you know a poem has it might take you weeks and weeks to get a really good one but they're all even longer potentially but there's you know there's closure in the near term there's there's something that you've created and and it's there a novel can take, I mean, years and the plotting and the where on earth, all the different places that you can go off to. And it's, you know, I always found it a very daunting proposition uh, beyond writing poetry, writing articles, writing short stories. I, I, the novel was just this, you know, unicorn that I never was really sure if I would ever, you know, get to see one that I'd created. And I think for me, those fantasy novels, they were very much the stepping stone because I just you know it it was a nice idea I quite liked it I was in a horrible job at the time and I really it was a very uncreative job and I really needed an outlet and I ended mm-hmm. up kind of using them almost kind of therapeutically writing at lunchtime writing in the evenings to get out of my head and this horrible job and by that process within about a year the first novel that fantasy novel I had 350,000 words. Oh so, my goodness. I know, it's like sort of probably all of the, um, actually probably not all of the, I was going to say the Game of Thrones in one because they're pretty big too, but it's, you know, it's a 350,000, that's a lot. Yes, and it, I mean, it's ridiculous and mm-hmm. it, it, impossible to, to have a, a published novel, but it just got me over that whole thing of, well, my God, you know, that's a lot of words and that's a big thing to undertake. So in a way it was just kind of clearing, I think some of that self-doubt and, and worry about that. That was really the first novel. It kind of opened the gates. Ah, I know you did a lot of research for the fields and you talked about flying to America and actually being there and talking to people. And I know other authors do that. They actually go to the places before they write. And we have the internet. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of like, you know, could you have done the research online? I mean, looked at cornfields, looked at pictures, aerial pictures, maybe even called the cops there and been like, hey, I'm writing this novel. Can you help me with this? And talk to people rather than, actually flying and being there just just throwing it out there yeah um I for me I mean obviously look it's the thing with going to the locations that you're setting your novel in I personally would always prefer to do that I do think you can get a lot deeper into your book by being there Having said that, that's not always available to everybody. And it certainly wasn't when I was writing my first novel that got published. I was basically, you know, let's say very economically challenged. And there was no way I could barely even afford my research books. I would ask 
my family to give me book tokens, birthdays and Christmases to, to be able to buy books. So there was no way that I was going to be able to go to all of the locations in the novels that I was writing. So, and to be honest, you know, some, some of that was even just practical stuff. Uh, the, the first trilogy that I wrote, which is set during the Crusades, but set in Syria and Egypt and places which are not only more complicated to get to, there was also just a real issue. I mean, there was a civil war when I was writing one of them. So, you know, I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to go out there. Right. Uh, and I couldn't afford it either. So sure. So I wrote those three books without ever going to any of those locations. And I did enormous amounts of research to compensate for that. And I read a lot of some really interesting stuff, sort of firsthand accounts from the actual time, from the 13th and 14th centuries of people mm-hmm. who were there and describing places. I think the thing, though, that's different for that is that, you know, really the sands of time and everything have, have blown across these landscapes. And there isn't a lot left other than, you know, some of the major castles and fortresses of the Crusaders. There isn't a lot that's left. So ultimately, being there 700 years later, am I going to get even enough of a flavour of the time? So for me, it wasn't as necessary to do that for those books. However, writing about Iowa right now, could I have done it? Well, if I had to, yes. And actually, interestingly, so I'm writing the sequel to The Fields at the moment because my American publishers were so excited. They said, well, we'd love this to be a series. So okay you know, go away and write another book with, with the same. <laughs> go away, write another book. I love that. <laughs> so it was like, Oh God, really? Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and I, I actually wasn't going to set the sequel in Iowa, but I have to say my editor in the States said he loved the sense of place so much. And because there isn't that many really crime thriller books set in somewhere like Iowa, he thought it was one of its big strengths was how unique it was and how alive the landscape is as a character he felt. And I have to say, I think in part that is because I was there and soaked it all in. However, so I, so I agreed and, and the sequel is set in Iowa more in Des Moines than in the sort of more rural parts. But I really want, even though I had spent some time in Des Moines in 2018, I really did want to go back and just you know, gather my thoughts and knowledge. And it's set in a different time of year, which in Iowa, you know, the weather is pretty extreme from, you know. Yes, it is. And so I read, and this, and the sequel is set in winter. And so I really wanted to go there in winter. And then of course, we've had a global pandemic. And for me in the UK, America only opened again to possibly be able to travel to in November. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm most of the way through the sequel now. So I had to write this book with less of a connection to the place that I was writing about. And it has, it's definitely, it's dented my confidence a little bit. I hope I've still managed to kind of bring some of that landscape magic to it that I felt Mm -hmm. I really by being there in in um in the fields but um but we shall see so (laughs) so uh Riley is in Iowa and she stays in Iowa and she's still investigating huh she is but she's with another I don't want to say too much but she's with another agency shall we say (laughs) okay okay so how many books do you anticipate with the Riley I I mean I have the I the notions of a good few more 
possibles in my head already but wow. it's really depend on you know the success to be honest of of this one and the next one I mean ultimately publishers need to make a profit and sure you know the bottom line of that so we'll we'll see I mean I have lots of ideas I'm I'm hoping they seem very excited about it so we'll see how it all goes next week so it's a little nerve-wracking <laughs> I'm sure it's gonna go really 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 well uh it is exciting though it's really exciting so you're a full-time author now is that I right am. Yes. Yeah. Luckily, luckily so. Yes. <laughs> that That's very fortunate. How do you um, spend your time? What is, what is an author's day like as a full-time author? Like, what do you do? You wake up and what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> that, is, that is pretty much it. I mean, at the moment, um, so I've got quite a deadline on, on the sequel, Okay. They publish that next year. So the first part of a book for me always takes a lot longer than the other half. All the setup and the, you know, how much to divulge and how much to keep back and what's the pacing like. And even though Riley's in it, and there are some other characters that you know were in the first novel in it, there's a lot of new characters. So sure. it's kind of working out their voices and it feels like often like a very slow painstaking process. And I also edit as I go. So I'm not one of those authors who can just got a lot of friends who are writers and we've all got very different ways of doing it. Some of them I know don't even plot it, which is, it's horrifying to me. Right. Um, I know some of my friends will, they'll just have an idea and they'll just start and they'll go. So they might even start in the middle of the book and then go backwards and then piece it all together like a jigsaw I know other people who have no idea really of the plot and then other people like me who plan it out comprehensively. So, and I think for me, especially with a police procedural where, you know, all of you're planting all of these different seeds and some of them are going to be false and red herrings and some of them are going to be relevant later on. So for me, I had to plot out the entire thing before, which I did with the fields as well. So I end up kind of like almost free writing once I've once I've done the research once I know roughly who's going to be in it where they're going to be what essentially is happening what is the thrust of the plot and what are the subplots then I pretty much free write a chapter breakdown which often comes out at 30 40,000 words so you know just under half a normal size novel at a hundred thousand words let's say and then I have this what I call my roadmap and it changes completely it it really does so I don't feel constrained by it but I feel comforted by it I know where it's going I know what the ending is going to be I know who's going to (laughs) die I know who's gonna you know do what so so that's how I start the kind of process and then that takes time and and that I'll have more kind of freedom in my days and so that's quite nice I quite like that early stage bit where I'm also doing a hell of a lot of reading of of books that I need to you know to understand forensics to understand police procedure to understand some of the other things that I've got my plots involved in you know really going away and understanding what I'm talking about before my characters do so that's quite nice. That was mainly in the summer. So I was kind of out a bit in my garden and doing some reading and note taking. And it all felt very relaxed and quite nice. And now just a couple of 
months <laughs> away from my deadline. It's basically seven days a week, you know, start. I mean, I, I read in the mornings. I, I read whatever novel I'm reading at the time. Sure. Just with a cup of tea. First thing, get up at sort of half seven, eight, read a couple of chapters, get my mind kind of working, force myself not pretty well. I don't always, you know, do it, but I try to force myself not to go onto my phone or Twitter or anything. Right. These hours. And I'll write for pretty solidly for sort of four or five hours. I'll go off, I'll have some lunch, I'll do a workout. And then I'll come back in the late afternoon and then I'll work through until like sort of eight or so in the evening. Wow. Um, and seven days a week because I just to get it done. But now it's flowing. So I am kind of, I'm stressed, but, you know, it's really firing as well. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a very different, it's, it's all different stages, really. <laughs> sounds, wow. Just sit and write like that. I, uh, speaking of phone, I just, just today I was reading a book about how to be more productive and things like that. And it said, go right now in the book. It was like one of those, you know, highlights. And it said, no, put the book down. And um, what is it? Turn off all your notifications on your phone. Do it now. So then I was like, okay, fine. Put the book down. And I started going through, not all. I mean, it said the notifications you don't need. Mm -hmm. And I I recognized like I was like, okay, Instagram off, Twitter off, Clubhouse off, like Facebook off and just going through everything. And you're right. You know, it's um, going there, reading and writing. And it seems like it's doing well for you. Yes. it's it, And for me, you know, then it's kind of like, OK, well, when I'm having a bit of downtime in the late afternoon, then I can go on Twitter because, you know, for an author these sure. days, that is also important. And Absolutely. To, you know, part of our jobs now is promotion and marketing and our publishers expect that of us. So, you know, and it's important. And it's, to be honest, it's really nice to connect with readers. It's lovely to know what they're thinking about it. So it's a plus, it's a good thing. But at the same time, you've got to not let it kind of come into your, you know, your creative process as well. (laughs) Right. You need to start a TikTok account pretty soon, you know? Or do you you have one already? (laughs) No, oh God. I'm so, I'm, you know, it's amazing that I've even got Twitter and Facebook. (laughs) Instagram, of course, you need Instagram. It's Bookstagram. I know. I I will probably do that once I finish this book. I I daren't take anything else on. (laughs) Sure. What are your top three authors of all time? Oh, goodness. That's hard because I, I read so many different authors. Let me think. Tana French, I really like. Irish writer. I love her stuff. I'll pretty much read anything that she writes. Um, who else? Goodness. It's also, you know, for, for me, it's kind of like individual books as well. Like I might have only read one book by an author. That's the next question, really. What's your top three books of all time? But, you know. Oh, goodness. Again, I... <laughs> I'll my, top, my top three that I've read recently because then I, my brain sure, just, sure absolutely that's fine top three I've read very very recently The Last House on Needless Street by Catriona Wards okay just finished Unsettled Ground by Claire Fuller okay um, who's just won the the Costa Prize the Women's Prize in the UK for that book so it's doing very well I, I thought it was a beautiful character study and what else? I really loved Girl A by Abigail Dean, I think it is. Okay. Um, yeah. So in in like the last couple of months, they're, they're my top three. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. Very, very, very good. What's that? Quite dark, but I think beautifully dark. And I quite like that kind of book. So yeah, that's, that's my kind of thing, really. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Last question. How would you describe your book in three words or less? Oh, goodness. (laughs) There's a reason I'm a novelist. It's because I can't say (laughs) anything. <laughs> You're like, I gave you 100,000 words in my book. You want to bring it down to three? What? Small town dark secrets. <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness, that's like perfect. Wow. Small oh, town dark secrets. That is exactly what your book is. Wow. See, you can bring 100,000 words into three words. I can do a haiku. (laughs) You can do a haiku. There you go. (laughs) Well, Erin, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on, spending time with me. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Well, you too. And thank you so much for having me. And and really, best of luck with your book as well. It's, you know, it's a labor of love. It's a long process. But, you know, ultimately, I think you've just got to enjoy it to just kind of throw yourself into it. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much. And wasn't that fun? I always gained so much from just talking to authors and learning their processes. Once again, I want to let you all know that today is pub day for the book, The Fields by Erin Young. If you like crime thriller with a political twist, this book might be up your alley. Upcoming for the podcast is, of course, Month in Review. Stay tuned for that. Before I go, if you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes, please take a moment to write me a review on Apple Podcasts. Please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram on Living a Life Through Books. I'm also on Clubhouse. Look me up by name. I'm on TikTok. My tag is at Dr. Shnaz Ahmed. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shanazahmed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D.com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavic. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time. <laughs>